0: Another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, January 28th, 2011. What a day. Looking at the, watching the news feeds coming out of Egypt. Not good. Pray for Egypt. We don't want them to turn into an Islamic nation like Iran. Oh, that would be horrible. Oh, man. Horrible things are afoot there. That's not what we're going to talk about. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of, uh, well, super r- really ridiculous crazy things being said out there in the name of God to the Word of God. We... Uh, <clears throat> Take that all and uh, compare what people are saying. And the reason why we do it, we reprove, we rebuke, we exhort with patience and sound doctrine. Sound familiar? It's biblical. Yeah, the reason why I do what I do is because false doctrine is a form of blasphemy, speaking words about God that are not true and attaching his name to it. It's a form of idolatry teaching differently about God than what he's revealed about himself turning the god of the Bible into a false god hijacking his name and making him into something that he is not that 's a form of idolatry and the reason why we do it is because it matters false doctrine and idolatry many times sends people to hell both the teacher as well as those following the teacher who is teaching false doctrine and unfortunately um uh, American evangelicalism has gone bizarre. That's the only way I can describe it. They have gone bizarre, crazy, weird, loony out there on the bizarre end of it. And as a result of it, we have got to uh, challenge the bizarre things being said in the name of God to the Word of God. And it seems like it's the typical cast of characters. What I find funny is is that uh, I was uh, you know, in preparing for the program today. I uh, found a um, Christian uh, post story that uh, you know the, the headline read. Uh, Rick Warren calls Christians to fall in love with Jesus again, and uh, it basically, it, it, it's kind of a reworked uh, piece that uh, was from a press release sent out earlier uh, for an initiative by Pastor Stovall Weems entitled the, Awake, the Awakening Initiative, a virtual conference, an online virtual conference is what it turned out to be, and... Um, and Rick Warren was one of the participants, and so you know, so I I head on I head on, on over to the awake twenty one dot org website, and literally, uh, the pastors that are featured there is like a cast of who's who of the people that do the bad sermons we review here at Fighting for the Faith. I mean. Uh, from Brian Houston uh, down at uh, <laughs> at Hillsong to uh, Paul DeJong there in New Zealand to Stephen Furtick to Rick Warren. I mean, it, it was uh, to Bill Shear. I, you know, it's been a while since I've done a Bill Shear uh, sermon review here at Fighting for the Faith. That's going to change today, actually. Uh, prior to running across the Awake21.org uh, uh, website, I actually um, had decided today I was going to be doing a Bill Shear uh, from Guts Church down there in... Uh, Oklahoma. Anyway, uh, so that's hour number two. If, you, if you're missing uh, Pastor Rex Kwando, or the man who inspired the character for Pastor Rex Kwando, uh, yeah, well, we're going to be doing a guts Church sermon review today. Yeah, it needs to be done. Anyway, so I head on over there, and yeah, oh, man, it's just... An abysmal mess, an abysmal mess. I mean, and, you know, we've got tens of thousands of churches who turn into something like the Awakening 21, 21 days of prayer, fasting, and personal devotion. And all the pastoral uh, devotional advice they're getting is from pastors who, well, they don't teach biblical Christianity, they teach something else. And so all of these rock stars of the uh, Leadership Network stripe, of the uh, Druckerite stripe are held up. As if, you know, these are the godly men that we should be following. And all of them, they they are errant at best and apostate at worst. So, you know, just, it's a mess. It's just a mess. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You roll up your sleeves, you put your boots on. Put your armor on, grab the sword of the spirit, the Bible, and uh, you know, put the shield of faith on, it. you know, and you get out onto the battlefield and you do your thing. You got to do it. You got you got to counteract this because what's at stake? People's souls are at stake, and um, yeah, the, the I I I kind of long for the day when uh, when we had denominations that were. Uh, you know where there were large denominational walls set up in the in the and and there were people arguing over biblical passages i mean you know and from a denominational point of view the reason why is because the denominations provided structure uh in such a way that you know false teachers they were thrown out on their uh, on their hindquarters. you know uh nowadays i mean in this non-denominational seeker driven purpose driven uh ceo leadership vision casting pastor days uh, there are there is no do not, there is no false doctrine filter for any of those churches. As a result of it, these guys go from bad to worse. And, you know, the reality is that the crop of, you know, the, the next crop of pastors that is coming up through the ranks, they're going to make Rick Warren, uh, they're going to make Rick Warren l- literally look like uh, somebody like Augustine. Uh, <laughs> and what I mean by, you know, Augustine is somebody that I look to, and he really did a fine job of arguing with the biblical text against the Pelagian heresies. And, uh, you know, he's considered one of the doctors of the early church. I mean, so or, 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 you put it this way, the next crop of pastors coming up to the ranks, once they really take their place and, and become really popular, they're going to make Stephen Furtick look like John Calvin. Yeah, you, you see, yeah, it's, I'm just telling you, I've seen what's coming up from the ranks, <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> you think that's bad now? Oh, good night. <laughs> it's just gonna get worse. I mean, what's funny is is that you know it, it, people always say you know when they they look at the museum of idolatry, we thought we had hit the bottom of the barrel. We thought it couldn't get any lower than this. Trust me, it's going to get worse than this. And uh, I, I was uh, conversing with uh, one of the outlaw preachers, okay, who who was actually kind of shocked at the um the spin the bottle sermon series uh uh Troy Gramling oh man i watched the first i watched the video for the first sermon on that i felt like i was watching an episode of romper room i am i am not kidding uh <laughs> potential church by the way they're not really a church they're they're only a, a church in potentia uh, and, you know, maybe someday when they actually figure out what the biblical gospel is, they can go from being a potential church to a real church. But in the meantime, they're just a church in potentia. Anyway... um so i was watching i was I, I, the the first few minutes of that thing i i kid you not he begins the first sermon in the spin the bottle sermon series and uh it, he begins by uh pulling out an art easel and painting uh, you know with yellow and then blue and then makes the point that if you take yellow and blue paint and you mix it together you get green i'm thinking really Oh wow, I didn't know that. You know, I felt like I was watching Romper Room or <laughs> Sesame Street. Anyway, I was talking with uh, I was chatting with one of the uh, outlaw preachers and and, and uh it, you know, the Museum of Idolatry earlier this week I, I posted, you know, the exhibit for the uh, spin the bottle sermon series and which has the video uh from the audio, you know, the, the the audio I played earlier in Fighting for the Faith. That video is up if you want to see it in in all of its really bad glory. Uh, it was there. And so one of the outlaw preachers, you know, he uh, sent me a message and said, you know, I I can't believe this is happening. What's next? And I said, I I, I hate to joke about this because, you know, I, I fear that Saddleback Church and uh, and Perry Noble and those guys uh, monitor are monitoring my communications and they'll they'll take something that I say in jest as a joke, as satire, and then actually do it. But I said, what's coming next, okay, is is that there's going to be a pastor in the seeker-driven ranks. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Perry Noble or some guy coming up through the ranks. But they're going to do a sermon series. It, it This is, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm telling you, it's coming. They're going to do a sermon series entitled Playboy, okay, uh, or they're, they're going to take the name of, uh, of some, you know, famous porn site or magazine or whatever. You know, the Playboy is the one that comes to mind, because when I was growing up, that was the one that everyone talked about. Uh, and so the, they're going to do the Playboy Sermon Series, okay? This is what they're going to do. They're going to do the Playboy Sermon Series, and as part of the opening worship set, that church's pole dancing ministry will... Actually, do their thing while the band plays. It doesn't even have to be. A, I don't even play some opening secular, wor, uh, you know, music set and before they segue into the so-called worship. Uh, and it, you're sitting there going, "Chris, that's that sounds horrible." Yeah, I know that sounds horrible, but the, the reality is, is that uh, at the Museum of Idolatry, I have already chronicled the fact that there are churches out there that have quote pole dancing ministries. Okay, Um, they already exist. Okay, and they exist on the rubric of this. We want the women in our congregation to feel beautiful. And we have found that pole dancing is a um, is a means for them to feel sexy and to build self-confidence. And not only that, it's it's a good workout. And so it's a good way for them to exercise. I'm not making this up. Okay, I've actually there are go to the museum of idolatry. Do the search for pole dancing. Yeah, I'm I'm not joking. There are already pole dancing ministries, so it's just a matter of time before one of these seeker driven churches does a sermon series entitled "Playboy" and they bring the pole dancing ministry out of the church basement and feature it on stage during the praise and worship time. And you're thinking that's just never going to happen. Okay, you don't if you don't believe me, okay? I you know, I'll 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 make a bet within the next 24 months. Within the next 24 months, there is going to be a seeker-driven church that does this. Okay? You know, here it is January 28, 2011, and I am confident that I'm going to that I that I'm going to win this betting think, Well, what are you putting on the line? One dollar. No, I'll you tell you what. Here's what I'll do. No, I'll put. Yeah, it, but it, yeah, here's what I'll do. The first person to take me up on the bet, uh, if if after 24 months it doesn't happen, okay, then I will buy them uh, either um, a copy of Logos for their compute for their for their computer. You know the the basic starter set. You know uh, Logos or Accordance, depending on. Whether they're a Macintosh or a Windows user, plain and simple. Okay. So that's, but it's the first person who says, I will take you up on that bet, and they email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Within 24 months, there's going to be a sermon series done by a seeker driven group. It's our church. It's going to be called Playboy or some other pornographic name like that. And it will include a pole dancing ministry uh performing during the praise and worship or opening music set that that's that's the bet within twenty four months okay so and if it doesn't happen but you know by january twenty eighth of twenty thirteen then uh who whoever the first person was to take me up on it i will uh i i will purchase a a, a, a you know the basic starter package for either logos or Accordance for them to use on their computer plain and simple <sighs> <sighs> And what happens if I win? I just get bragging rights. That's that's all there is to it. Anyway, I'm just telling you, it's probably unwise to uh, to bet against me. It's it's un very unwise to bet against me on this. It's just <laughs> I see where this is going. It's not hard to connect the dots and go. Oh, that's the trend. I could see where. Yeah, this is where this head is heading. You know, and where is it headed? Yeah, you know, where is it going after this? I don't even want to think about it. I just don't want to think about (laughs) because just when we think that's the bottom of the barrel, the barrel is going to get deeper and more murky. It's just saying anyway. All right. So today's edition of fighting for the faith, we got, we got a few things that we want to uh, cover here. Um, Number one, I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, antinomian charge that's been brought against uh, Michael Horton. Now, I, I want to make something clear. I, I spent a little bit of time on the phone last night with Frank Turk from the uh, Pyromaniacs blog, and, and Frank and I—I yeah, I love the guy. I just absolutely love the guy, and uh, I think it's important for you all to know that I'm going to have Frank on the program early next week. Um, the, it, based, you know, I'm working at a time when I can interview him ahead of time and then play it on the program, and so it, I may be able to interview him over the weekend. We'll see how that goes. And uh, and I gotta tell you, you know, he uh, I I told him on the phone last night, um, that I was disappointed with R. Scott Clark in this sense that the uh, the critique that he wrote back, uh, dealt with antinomianism and Frank Turk somehow got thrown into that mix because if you when you read Frank Turk's open letter, uh, Frank Turk is uh he's he I think he took pains to avoid the word antinomian because I don't think that's what his beef is. But uh, anyway, the White Horse Inn guys, uh, Mike Horton, uh, he, he ended up responding on the White Horse Inn blog regarding the antinomian thing. And the, the, what's really sparked that is uh, is the fact that um, a gentleman by the name of Jason B. Hood – Wrote an article uh, for Christianity Today that raised the specter and the uh, and you know the question of antinomianism, and I, I want to read Jason Hood's uh, article from Christianity Today, and I want to read uh, Michael Horton's response uh, because I think it's important to the ongoing uh, this ongoing thing. It, it, it's actually a phenomenon right now. It, it's kind of like the uh, the the Reformation. Uh, <clears throat> well, how do I say it? It's the Reformation. Topic of the day, the uh, jour, the topic du jour right now, and um, and I I have some serious issues with some of the things that Jason uh, Hood brought up in his uh, article, as did Michael Horton. So I want to I want to play I want to read those out for you so that you can kind of see where things are and uh and you know offer just a little bit of my take because you know quite frankly I think Michael Horton does a fine job of defending himself so uh with that we're going to dive into the program and by the way I'm going to play I'm going to pro- if time permitting I'm going to also play some of Rick Warren's uh you know uh, video from the awake the awakening21 website yeah, because it's a complete utter confusion of law and gospel and uh, and then our sermon review in hour number 2 is from guts church uh and um bill Shear yeah you don't want to miss that so we've got a good program today make yourself comfortable if you want to enjoy an adult beverage don't have a problem with that as long as you stay within the biblical confines of not, you don't take it to excess and get drunk that's just not yeah that's uh, that's an abuse of that wonderful gift that God has given us fuzzy bunny slippers if the weather permits if it's cold enough in your neck of the woods and uh, and with that let's dive into the program. From Christianity Today, uh, the headline reads, Heresy is heresy, not the litmus test of gospel preaching. By Jason Hood. All right. Jason Hood in uh, the recent edition of Christianity Today. This is one that came out. The uh, let me read what he writes here. He says, "Antinomianism is not hostility to gnomes." Okay, yeah, and it's and it's not fear of people from Nome, <laughs> yeah, Alaska. Yeah, antinomianism is lawlessness, believing and teaching that obli- an obligation free version of Christianity. I no, I agree, right? In certain quarters of the evangelical world, being accused of antinomianism is increasingly Considered to be a symptom of a healthy ministry, this belief has a long pedigree, no less an authority than Martin Lloyd Jones believed that there was no better test of gospel fidelity than the accusation of antinomianism i 'm going to pause there for a second um, what he 's reacting to is uh yeah, well here 's the deal I, I I cut my theological teeth in the apologetics world. And, uh, you know, I was attending Christ College Irvine uh, when uh, the initial uh, radio programs of the White Horse Inn first started airing. I, I, was, I, I was trained theologically by my mentor, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt. And here's the idea. Let me, let me explain what uh, Jason Hood is uh, referring to. In those circles, okay, one of the ways that they say that you're correctly preaching the gospel— is if the response of the hearer is something to the effect of, well, if if the gospel is totally free, does that mean we could do whatever we want? Answer, yes. Love God and do whatever you want. But now that you've been set free by the gospel and have been brought to repentance and the forgiveness of sins and been set free to love God and love your neighbor, what do you want to do? Okay, So that's the idea, and this has kind of been interpreted as, well, antinomianism. And the point is, is that when you preach that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by the shed blood of Christ alone, that your works merit zero, zilch, nada, nothing in the equation of salvation, that oftentimes somebody will hear that biblical good news and wrongly equate it with antinomianism. So, are, are, what? You mean it's completely free? Yes, it's completely free. You see, that's what's going on here. And that's this is what I've been taught. And as somebody who's spent quite a bit of time in the uh, white horse in circles, so to speak, um, being taught by talking with, conversing with, uh, socializing with, uh, folks in the you know on the white horse inn this is what they t- they're referring to but jason hood is basically telling them, well there's something wrong if you, if you, if, pe- uh, 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 if uh if people think that you're correctly preaching the gospel and by by thinking that it's antinomianism now i understand what he's saying but he's not getting the gist of it michael horton and uh rod Rosenblatt and uh kim riddleberger and ken jones are not actually preaching antinomianism. They neither believe, teach, or confess antinomianism. By the way, if you really want to know what antinomianism is, get Jay Baker's latest book, Fall to Grace. That's antinomianism. Antinomianism is basically a complete repudiation of the law and somehow turning the gospel into a license to sin or the gospel is God affirms you in your sin that's antinomianism, yeah. Kim Riddlebarger and the gang—they're not antinomian. Okay, Jay Baker is an antinomian. That's <clears throat> yeah. I'm going to be doing a, a full workup on uh, Jay Baker's book, by the way. Working on that. Not sure when it'll be done, but I just wanted to know that I am working on it. R- been reading through it and wanting to, <clears throat> having a hard time. Uh, <clears throat> Suppressing my gag reflex. Anyway, so uh, Jason Hood. Okay, so uh, one can hear variations on this theme in a variety of places, particularly among younger preachers who self-identify as Reformed. In his new book, Surprised by Grace, Tulian Tevigian borrows from Lloyd-Jones in exhorting preachers to use the antinomian accusation as a self-assessment tool for ministerial fidelity. Again, the, what I've described to you is what he, what Tulian is referring to in his book. I've heard it used as a litmus test for pastoral search committees and as a rule of thumb for young pastors convinced that the ministerial task does not include the instruction of God's people in law or righteousness. What? It doesn't sound right to me. While this precise wording varies, the common denominator is that the accusations of antinomianism are an important barometer useful for determining whether the atmosphere of one's ministry is adequately pressurized by grace. An accusation of theological heresy cannot be considered a foolproof test of fidelity. Subjective human responses are rarely a correct measuring stick for faithfulness. I've also seen charges of heresy leveled at other times, for instance, when studying the humanity of Jesus with lady who had been trained to see Jesus as more or less exclusively in divine terms. However, I'm not comfortable saying that a good test for my Christology is that I'm accused of Arianism or Docetism. Moreover, proffering the antinomian accusation as a barometric, barometric slogan prompts the question as to whether or not we should call our orthodoxy into question if we're not accused of being moralistic or legalistic, as Lloyd-Jones also taught. Many biblical passages, indeed whole books, have received that charge from authorities ranging to it in theological savvy from Luther to Lady Gaga, the latter being self-professed least judgmental person, in the in the world, uh, Jesus uh, quote Jesus's requirements for any and all who wish to be his disciples and bear his name—self denial and and cross bearing holiness and purity—will inevitably sound like legalism in a restraint free culture dominated by eat pray love spirituality and Joel Osteen grade theology. It makes me wonder what uh, Jason Hood's theological persuasion is because he seems to be confusing long gospel here, and he doesn't have the. The same uh, exegetical nuance that uh, I read from Frank Turk's uh, open letter yesterday. Uh, But some believe that gospel grace is so neglected that special dispensations should be granted so that we can restore balance. While discussing D.A. Carson's excellent phrase, grace-driven effort, one young reformed pastor told me, I grew up just hearing about effort, which is why I'm okay if some people have overemphasized the grace part. We can handle that for a season. A number of Reformed leaders believe that legalism and moralism are far greater dangers to the church than antinomianism and a lack of holiness. Actually, I don't know any guys who think that um, that antinomianism is, is not a danger. I, I, I hang out in Reformation circles. There isn't a single guy that a theologian, church leader— pastor, student of Reformation theology that I, that I know of that thinks, oh, you know, it's antinomianism is okay, or it's not that big of a deal. I, I don't know any guys like that. Anyway, <clears throat> Such ass- assessments seem to apply to a slippery slope argument. One should not lay great stress, particularly in pulpit ministry, on the pursuit of holiness and radical descriptions in the requirements of Christian discipleship. Who's saying this? Again, I, you know, I, I was recently listening to uh, a past episode of uh, the White Horse Inn. By the way, we uh, we broadcast the uh, the past episodes of the White Horse Inn, White Horse Inn Classic, here at Pirate Christian Radio on a daily basis. And uh, it's one o'clock, uh, one o'clock Eastern. If you want to listen in, you know, and hear past episodes of the White Horse Inn, I mean, I, I'm very familiar with their archives because we play them here on the radio all the time. That being the case, I mean. Over and again, I hear guys like Kim Riddlebarger saying pastors need to preach the entire word of God. They need to work their way through entire books so that not only so that both the imperatives and the indicatives are preached. Over and again, here at Fighting for the Faith. One of the things I harp on is uh, pastors who who only focus in on the imperatives and never preach the indicatives. Ever. One of the things I, I have a beef with with uh, Frank Turk, by the way, in his uh, in his open letter, he he seems to think that uh, uh, that long gospel is you know not a you know the proper distinction of long gospel is not a major problem in the church. I I actually vehemently disagree, uh, based upon the sermons I review here from the t- top mega leaders of uh, of Christianity. Yeah, I hear a lot of imperative and very little indicative. And they couldn't tell you what the subjunctive is if their life depended upon it. Seriously. <sighs> I continue. Anyway, um, so here's the deal the point that I was making. If pastors would preach through entire texts, if they would be bound to a lectionary, they would have no choice, none whatsoever, to preach both law and gospel, sin and grace, and would be forced to preach passages that deal with not just the first use of the law, but the third use as well. They would be forced by the text because they have to preach from a lectionary. They would have no choice but to preach through entire passages that deal not only with what Jesus has done for us, but what that gospel produces in the life of a Christian you start at the beginning of an epistle and you go to the end of it you're going to run into all of the different stripes you know you see theological and doctrinal stripes you see what i'm saying here but over and again from all the major leaders that we review their sermons here at fighting for the faith over and again those guys cherry pick passages rip them out of context and then give us some kind of life application sermons that are supposedly supposed to make us obedient when they don't and as a result of it we get a heck of a lot of imperative and very very little gospel indicative. It's a rare occasion nowadays for me to actually play the gospel nuggets soundbite when I'm reviewing a sermon. Yeah, I I think Jason Hood. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. That's my opinion. Anyway, the, uh, these leaders almost always reject the label antinomian. While some of them mute ra- uh, radical discipleship, others are faithfully and passionately pursuing personal and corporate holiness. But in these circles, antinomianism begins to be seen as something one might need to brush up against so that the charge of antinomianism is, 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 is very wel- much welcome to the point of being a stamp of authenticity or a badge of honor, as Paul Zoll puts it. Only to an Arminian, only to a Pelagian, only to somebody whos who doesn't understand law and gospel, only to somebody who's heard mostly imperative and very little indicative, only in evangelical circles where the gospel is relegated to something that you preach to somebody who's unsaved and not to the saved, does this litmus tests make any sense because when you preach the biblical gospel to them they think you're preaching antinomianism but that that just shows that they don't know what the gospel is and i think it's a fine litmus test but you can't leave somebody there you have to say no 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 no. you want to know what an antinomianism you an antinomian is you look at somebody like jay baker you look at somebody the some of the folks in the emergent camp those are antinomians okay It just takes a little education. Anyway, the charge of antinomianism appeared as a prescription in a recent review of David Platt's challenging bestseller Radical. Quote, I would hope that as David speaks in risky ways in order to challenge us to shake off nominal Christianity, he would on occasion speak in such a way that he's charged with antinomianism. Such statements prompt the question as to whether the antinomian charge was something Paul himself saw as a positive sign. You know what's funny is is that... This charge actually is something that Paul runs into, because when Paul preaches the gospel, read Romans 5 and then go on to chapter 6, okay? Paul preaches salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone, and then Romans 6 then begins with kind of like the counter charge. Well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? Yeah, I think that's the the, the gist of lloyd Jones's charge as well. One Paul, as somebody who constantly preached salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone, oftentimes ran into the, well, uh, uh, does that mean that we should go on sinning so that grace may increase? The antinomian charge. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The antinomian charge will not stick and is in fact repudiated in the most vociferous way. Romans six six one asks two questions: What are we to say then? Should we sin so that grace may abound? We are uh, which we are introduced by Paul so that he can utterly refute them. His first two words in the Greek uh, make uh, genoita are the strongest possible denial available to him in the Greek as a denial so strong that it is difficult to express in English without using French. <laughs> right. In reminder of the chapter, Paul forcibly insists that an anti-law or anti-obligation label is not only inaccurate, but deceptive and hostile mischaracterization. A, free, a life free of laws or commands is the exact opposite of what Paul's religion is about. Yeah, but uh, Jason, you're kind of missing the point. You, you, the reason why Paul asks the question is because that's the, that's where this antinomian litmus test comes from. Is Paul himself? He preaches it in such a way that the natural response, the the natural question that arises, is the one that Paul asks in Romans six. Anyway, if you want to read more of um, Jason Hood's article, I go to Christianity Today and, and uh, look it up there. You can find it. But I'm gonna I, what I'm gonna do. Yeah. My commercials are all off today here. What well, I'm going to take a quick break, and uh, I'm going to uh, read uh, from the White Horse in response to Jason Hood. By the way, they uh, the White Horse in response to Frank Turk as well, and they consider his questions to be asked in a brotherly spirit, but they take uh, Jason Hood's stuff to task. And I think that's important that you don't put Jason Hood in, uh, but put Frank Hood in with Jason uh, Frank Hood Frank Turk in with Jason Hood. Man, I'm, I've got myself all worked up. <laughs> Oh man. Alright, if you <laughs> I, I think I better take a break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
2: Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the octagon. It's called Rex Kwando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um. Here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're gonna learn these things first off. And Rex Kwan we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off. My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church.
0: Oftentimes, when you preach the biblical gospel, people will accuse you of being an antinomian. It's not because you really are, it's because they don't know what an antinomian is. Need to remind you all: Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, your financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website. FightingFortheFaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says, donate. The other says, join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, moving along here. I I want to read uh, Michael Horton's response. He posted this last night at the uh, WhitehorseIn.org blog. You can go to WhitehorseIn.org and click on their blog link, and it's from January 27th. And um, it <laughs> the name of their blog, by the way, is Out of the Horse's Mouth. Yeah, but um, bump. Anyway, <laughs> just saying. The, uh, Michael Horton's uh, response is entitled "The Fear of Antinomianism." Here's what Michael Horton writes. And by the way, this is a response to uh, uh, Jason Hood's article, not Frank Turk. If you read down at the bottom, uh, in fact, before I read that, let me uh, m- let me point this out. Uh, Michael Horton writes. He says some of you are asking more, for more specific response to Frank Turk. A number of charges were laid against Whitehorse in an, it, it, all in the spirit of brotherly concern. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Frank Turk. I think he he raises some good questions, and this is one of the reasons why I'm going to have him on the program. Uh, early next week. And uh, even uh, even Mike Horton recognizes that the questions that Frank Turk asked were done in a spirit of brotherly concern. Yeah, not so much with the Jason Hood guy anyway. So um, yeah, they give him a response, but you can read it on their website. I'm going to focus in on uh, Michael Horton's response to uh, Mr. Hood. Horton writes he says fear is a powerful motivator. We've grown used to it being used in politics to argue for or against certain economic, immigration or military proposals. We sometimes don't recognize its misuse in the church. This week the fear of antinomianism which means the rejection of God's law as a standard of righteousness of righteous action required of God's covenant people has been raised. There have been genuine antinomians in church history. There are many today who set aside God's law as the standard for God's righteous judgment, usually substituting their own prescriptions. For example, look at some of the emergent church. Look at Jay Baker. That's the, that's an antinomian. Okay? Not Michael Horton. Not Dr. Rosenblatt. Not... Yeah, anyway. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a bee in my bonnet. However... Accusations have been raised over the last few days that target people who are decidedly not antinomian. In a recent Christianity Today article by Jason Hood, the antinomian charge was directed at contemporary Reformed preachers and writers. Elsewhere, the White Horse Inn was rebuked for encouraging this false teaching. There is no point in responding to accusations point by point. Anyone who subscribes to Lutheran or Reformed confessions is conscience-bound to repudiate antinomianism as a perversion of biblical teaching. Right. Which is the reason why yesterday, when I was reading Frank Turk's article um, and R. Scott Clark, I, one of the things, one of the reasons why I read R. Scott, uh, Scott Clark's response, even though I didn't agree with everything that he said regarding Frank Turk, I don't think he had the right read on Frank Turk. The reason I read it though is because he pointed back to the confessions of those who are reformed or Calvinist, and as a Lutheran, I you, you want, if you want to know what I believe. What I Believe, Teach, and Confess, you will not find it on a thumbnail sketch thing that I banged out on my word processor last week. You know, you want to know What I Believe, Teach, and Confess? You're going to need to get yourself a copy of the Confessions of the Lutheran Faith, the otherwise known as the Book of Concord, and you're going to need to read it from the beginning, and you're going to need to keep on reading until you get to the end, and you go... Yeah, but Chris, it's, it, the thing is huge. It's It would take me oh, like two weeks to read it. So I think you would benefit from it, and I think you should. If you want to know what I believe, teach, and confess as a correct understanding of the Scriptures, that means not only what I believe affirmatively, but the heresies that I repudiate, rebuke, and basically condemn read the Confessions of the Lutheran Church found in the Book of Concord. You can get a free edition of it at bookofconcord.org or you can go to amazon.com and grab a copy of it there. Um, I like the readers edition put out by Paul McCain over at CPH he's done a fine job in that edition. It's really easy to read and readable and that's what I believe teach and confess. As a result of it, yeah, you're you're it's not just some little thing, oh, I believe this point number 1. God created. Point number two, man fell. Point number three, Jesus came. Point number four, we can now live in bliss. No, it. Yeah, no, that. No, 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 no. You won't find a saddleback-sized uh, <clears throat> version of what I believe. It, it, it's yeah. No, no it's it, 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 what i believe teaching confess needs to be understood and what is confirmed why i believe it where the biblical backing for that is how to cro- properly handle those texts and then therefore what necessarily must be rejected it's all all in there that's the way you do confessions by the way and the westminster confessions they do that as well anyway so uh, mike horton points out anyone who subscribes lutheran to either lutheran or reformed confessions is conscience bound to repudiate antinomianism as a perversion of biblical teaching here here couldn't agree more why do why do not deny the abiding role of, of we do oh, sorry <clears throat> We do not deny the abiding role of God's moral law in exposing our sin, first use, this is a Reformed use, and guiding us in grateful and godly living, third use. So if Reformation Christianity is antinomian, which is the perennial charge from Roman Catholic and Arminian quarters, then it would help if critics would let us know what the new definition is. The conventional wisdom in many Christian circles is that, quote, we need to find the right balance between law and grace so that we don't fall into legalism or license. Yeah, the thing is, is that law and grace live in tension. You need them both. There's, it's not it's the right balance. It's they have to both be preached in their full vigor uh, for what they're supposed to do. It's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not a formula fifty-fifty or something like that. Although the council has a long history, its most recent expression was urged in Jason Hood's article. The author expresses concern that too many Reformed Christians today are encouraging antinomianism, or at least uh, reveling in the charge. The author especially criticizes appeals to the point made by Martin Lloyd-Jones on the basis of Romans 6.1, that if we aren't accused of antinomianism, we haven't preached the gospel properly. In that verse, Paul asks the rhetorical question that he assumes his treatment of the gospel thus far will provoke exactly. What shall we say, then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might abound? The author of the article, that's Hood, points out that Paul immediately answers in the strongest possible terms. Well, by no means. Yet this article implies that those of us who invoke invoke Lloyd-Jones might answer otherwise. Exactly. That's the problem. This misunderstanding can be cleared up easily by looking at what Lloyd-Jones goes on to say in that Romans commentary. It could also be cleared up by looking at the sharp denunciations of antinomianism in the Lutheran Book of Concord and the Reformed Belgic Confession, Heidelberg Catechisms, and the Canons of Dort, and the Presbyterian Standards in the Westminster Confessions and Catechisms, as well as the Savoy Congregationalist and the London Baptist Confessions. With Paul, we enter without hesitation by no means shall we sin that might that grace may abound. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What's striking is that Paul's answer that Paul answers antinomianism not with the law but with more gospel right <laughs> ah, that's exactly correct yes well oh, that's beautiful sorry i just i'm reveling in my michael horton's afterglow here uh, no that's exactly right what is michael horton points out that in romans chapter 6 the opening verses Paul answers the charge of antinomianism, not with more law, but with more gospel. In other words, antinomians are not people who believe the gospel too much, but they are people who believe the gospel too little. They restrict the power of the gospel to the problem of sin's guilt, while Paul tells us that the gospel is the power for sanctification as well as for justification. Hear, here, Amen. <clears throat> Sorry, I just. This is really good. The danger of legalism becomes apparent not only when we confuse law and gospel and justification, but when we imagine that even our new obedience can be empowered by the law rather than the gospel. The law does what only the law can do reveal God's moral will. In doing so, it strips us of our righteousness and makes us aware of our helplessness apart from Christ, and it also directs us in grateful obedience. Now, I want to point something out here. Luther, Martin Luther, points out the fact that the purpose of the law is not just to expose our sins as sins, but the, really the, it, it gets to the root. The purpose of the law is to expose our original sin, our sinful nature, that which is the root from which all of our other sins, all of our other breaking of the Ten Commandments bears its fruit from. So in you know it goes a little bit deeper than this the purpose of the law is really to show you that you are utterly by nature morally depraved and at war with god that's really what's going on okay so I appreciate uh, Dr. Horton's response, which is really in in keeping with the uh, Reformed Confessions. But uh, I, I, you know, uh, uh, the Lutheran Confessions talk about this in such a way that it, it takes it in a slightly different direction, but it gets to pretty much the same conclusion in, in, in many ways. No one who says this—okay, so let me back this up. Dr. Horton's backing it up. The law— does what only the law can do, reveal God's moral will. In doing so, it strips us of our righteousness and makes us aware of our helplessness apart from Christ, and it also directs us in grateful obedience. No one who says this can be considered an antinomian. However, it's not a matter of finding the right balance between the law and the gospel, but of recognizing that each does different work. Amen. We need imperatives, and Paul gives them, but he only does this in, in this later in the argument after he has gra- he has grounded sanctification in the gospel right on the ultimate antidote to antinomianism is not mere is not more imperatives but the realization that the gospel swallows the tyranny as well as the guilt of sin it is enough to save Christians even in their failure and not only brings them peace with god and justification but the only liberation from the cruel oppression of sin. To be united to Christ through faith is to receive everything that we need, on, not only to challenge legalism, but antinomianism as well. For a more important distinction, please read my friend Tulian Tavigian's post and the post of my friend and colleagues at WSCR Scott Clark. I'll have to put a link up to those, but yeah, not good... Job, Michael Horton, excellent, 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 retort, good stuff. I, you know, I'm glad this got brought up. Okay, now to kind of take you to the opposite end of the spectrum, to take you to where the confusion of law and gospel exists. I uh, I will play for you now audio from a video posted at the Awakening Twenty One website. Uh, And uh, Pastor Rick Warren waxing eloquent uh, in the way he does without a proper distinction of law and gospel, where the law is the solution to the problems, not the gospel. This is the exact polar opposite of what Michael Horton just said in his article, Refuting Antinomianism, that antinomianism in Romans chapter 6 is refuted not by more law, but by the gospel itself. Now, here's Pastor Rick Warren.
3: Hi, everybody, I'm Rick Warren, and when my dear friend and co-worker in the Lord and brother, Stovall Weems, invited me to uh, give this greeting to you at this Awakening virtual conference, I jumped at the chance. You know, a while back, I I got this letter from a Christian leader. It said, uh, Dear Rick, I'm so tired of going through the motions. I'm fed up with business as usual. Nothing really excites me or energizes me. In fact, I've been in a slump so long that I don't know if I can get out of it, but I don't like it one bit. I'm frustrated, I'm bored, I'm unfulfilled, and I tend to focus on the wrong thing and become cynical about everything. The bad thing is that I take my frustrations out on the people that I love most, my family. I need a major change in my life.
0: Okay, now I want you to listen. Okay, Pastor Rick is responding to a pastor, somebody who's in ministry, who's burnt out. Makes you wonder if the reason why the guy isn't burned out is because all he's hearing is the imperatives, and not hearing the good news of what Christ has done for him, even as a Christian. I I think that's what the problem is. The guy's got too much law and no gospel. That that that's my assessment in hearing this. But let's see. So that being the case, I wonder what Rick Warren's prescription here is. See if he gives the guy the gospel or if he just gives him
3: more law. You know, I think that represents a lot of people who need a fresh awakening of God in their heart. I've said many times that when unbelievers like what they see in us, they'll listen to what we say. But they like, they've like they got to like what they see first. And the problem is today, many Christians are lethargic, they're burned out, and they're living lives no different than those of unbelievers. They need to fall in love with Jesus all over again.
0: They need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Well, how is that going to happen? If, the, if Jesus is just a lawgiver, somebody who demands from me, and there is no real good news in the good news, because the good news is really all the things I have to do, isn't, isn't that the formula for
3: burnout, Rick? That's what awakening is all about, getting close to Jesus Christ. You know, one day a guy was walking down the street and he found Jesus and he said, Lord, what's the most important command in the Bible? Can you, can you give me cliff notes on the Bible? Can you summarize the Bible for me? And Jesus said, sure. All the law and all the prophets, the entire, entire Old Testament, he said all scripture can be summed up in two simple statements. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Oh, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the law and the prophets are summed up in this.
0: Yeah, No. notice, he, Rick is correct. All of the law is summed up in this. That's the summary of the law. And you know what? That condemns us. Now... I'm going to stop right here, and we're going to read a little bit from the book of Romans. Just read a little bit from the book of Romans, okay? Romans chapter 3. I will begin—oh, how did I—I have the NIV open. Oh, that's that's just an abomination. Sorry. (laughs) Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No, no one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery... The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped, and so that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, for by loving God and loving neighbor— No human being will be declared righteous. No one will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Primary use of the law. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So here you have Rick Warren answering an email or a letter from a pastor or a teacher in the church who's burned out. And what is Rick Warren telling this guy to do? You just need to love God with all of your heart, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Get busy. That's what you need to do. You need to redouble your efforts. You need to apply yourself to this this problem, and you need to love God more. That's your problem. What is Rick doing here? He's condemning this guy. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, Paul says... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. And the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it, this righteousness of God. Here, using the same language that Rick Warren is saying, all the law and the prophets are summed up in in love God and love neighbor, right? Yeah. Yeah. But here, Paul says the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul is using law and gospel here. He's using the law to condemn everybody— And now he's pointing us to the righteousness of God that is through the gospel, that is through faith, that is the free gift. You want to love God and love neighbor? It begins and is motivated and is centered in the gospel, not the law. The good news of the redemption won by Christ and his shed blood for us. That's how Paul argues. Paul then continues. So what then becomes of boasting? (laughs) Well, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified, that one is declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Well, no, he's not the God. He, 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 is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, he's also the God of the Gentiles, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and he will, and uncircumcised through faith. So then do we overthrow the law by faith? No, 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 well, by no means. On the contrary, by faith we uphold the law. So what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but they are counted as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul's making a point here. This is about the covenant made with Abraham. You are counted righteous by faith, not by your loving God and loving neighbor. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or was it after he was circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. To make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring— Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, in, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he... "...believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since it was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God." Therefore, since we have been declared righteous, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Notice here. The natural fruit of the gospel, and of being declared righteous by faith in the shed blood of Christ, that we are to have peace with God on account of what Christ has done, the natural fruit of that is that we can rejoice and hope in the glory of God, and that we rejoice now in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. You see what's going on here? So here Pastor Rick has got a pastor who's burnt out, probably because he's been choking on the law. And what's Rick Warren's solution? Let's give him more law and tell him to try harder to love God with all his heart. That's a formula for suicide or pharisaicalism. What the guy needs is the gospel. Because it's the gospel, the good news of Christ and him crucified for our sins, of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ shed blood on the cross alone, that gives us the ability to rejoice and to and rejoice not just every day, but to rejoice in suffering. It's the gospel that needs to be the center, not the law It's the gospel that overcomes sin, death, and the devil. It is the gospel, through the gospel, that we put to death the deeds of our sinful flesh. It is through the gospel that we comfort our souls when the devil tempts us and says you're not worthy. It is not through our keeping of the law. The law will only drive us to despair. And as Christians, through the gospel, we are now set free in Christ from the reign of sin, death, and the devil, set free to love God and love neighbor. But it's only through the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. For as Romans says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly sinners like me and ungodly sinners like you. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Much, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment followed one trespass and brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification." For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Listen to that. By the one man's obedience, that's Jesus. By Jesus' obedience, you will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness that leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the gospel that leads us to eternal life. It is the gospel that declares us righteous. It is the gospel that makes us right before God, and it is through the gospel that we are declared righteous the one man's obedience, Jesus. Not your obedience and mine, but his. With this now as your framework and foundation, let's listen again to Rick Warren, giving advice to a pastor who is despairing.
3: Law and all the prophets, the entire, entire Old Testament. He said, All scripture can be summed up in two simple statements. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Oh, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. He said if you get this, you get it. Life is all about love. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's where awakening happens, when we fall in love with Jesus again. God wants us to learn to love him passionately, with all of our heart, and with all of our soul. He wants us to learn to love him thoughtfully with all of our minds. And he wants us to learn to love him practically with all of our strength. It's something that we feel, it's something that we say, it's something that we believe, and it's something that we do. That's what love is is all about. You know, the Bible says in Hosea that God says, I don't want your offerings, I want your love. I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to know me. Can you hear the passion in that verse? God says, more than anything else, I want you to know me. You can be so busy working for God, you don't get to know God. You don't spend any time with God. And when you don't spend time with God on a daily basis, you start sounding like that letter. Now, if I don't spend time with God on a daily basis, if I don't spend time that day with God, I know it.
0: Notice he's nagging him with the law, the thing you have to do, rather than pointing him to what Christ has done for him and telling him of the great love of God because of what Christ did for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, you and me. He's not pointing him to the gospel. This is just all
3: law. If I don't spend with God, time with God for a couple days, uh, my wife begins to notice. If I don't spend time with God for a week, everybody else notices. It comes out in my attitude because I'm sharp, I'm not loving, I'm critical, I'm I'm impatient, I can be cranky. Because when you're filled with love, it pushes all those things out the back door. And the only way you get that love is spending time with Jesus. My challenge for you this new year and this new decade is that you make your own personal declaration of dependence upon Jesus Christ again. A while back, I, I wrote down my personal uh, allegiance to Jesus, and I simply called it radicalis.
0: Yeah, well, see, apparently Rick Warren, I mean, he's the solution. Just model him, just, and you'll be obeying God's law in no time, and, and then you won't burn out. This is a formula for burnout. This is, uh, this is literally heaping this guy down with even a heavier load than he already has.
3: I'd like to just read it to you. Today, I'm stepping across the line. I'm tired of waffling and I'm finished with wavering. I've made my choice. The verdict is in as my indecision is irrevocable. I'm going God's way. There's no turning back. I will live the rest of my life serving God's purposes with God's people on God's planet for God's glory. I will use my life to celebrate his presence, cultivate his character, participate in his family, demonstrate his love, and communicate his word. Since my past has been forgiven and I have a purpose for living and a home awaiting in heaven, I refuse to waste any more time or energy on shallow living, petty thinking, trivial talking, thoughtless doing, useless regretting, hurtful resenting, or faithless worrying. Instead, I will magnify God, grow to maturity, serve in ministry, and fulfill my ministry and mission in the membership of his family. Because this life is preparation for the next, I will value worship over wealth, we over me, character over comfort, service over status, people over possessions, position, and pleasure. I know what matters most and I will give it all I've got. I'll do the best I can with what I have for Jesus Christ today. I won't be captivated by culture, manipulated by critics, motivated by praise, frustrated by problems, debilitated by temptation, or intimidated by the devil. I'll keep running my race with my eyes on the goal. Not the sideline. I'll keep.
0: I'll. This is this is a declaration of him pulling himself up by his bootstraps, um, Baron Munchausen style. Have you ever seen that movie? By the way, fantastic movie put out by the Monty Python guys. Yeah, pull yourself up by your boot. Yeah, way
3: to go, Rick. I'm glad that you've
0: redoubled your efforts to obey the law.
3: I'm not hearing anything about Christ or on those running with me. And when time get tough and I get tired, I won't back up, back off, back down, back out, or backslide. I'll just keep moving forward by God's grace. I'm spirit-led, purpose-driven, and mission-focused, so I can't be bought. I will not be compromised, and I shall not quit until I finish the race.
0: Oh, way to go, Rick. Yeah, I'm so glad that you've rededicated yourself to living the law, loving God and loving neighbor. I'm sure you never fall short.
3: I'm a trophy of God's amazing grace, so I'll be gracious to everyone, grateful for every day. God's amazing grace, could you elaborate on that, please? And generous with everything that God entrusts to me. I'm a radical in the original sense of the word, rooted in Christ, rooted in love, and rooted in his word. So I hereby declare my radical supreme Supreme allegiance to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I say, however, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. I'm... Yeah, I bet he's already broken this. I bet he broke, the, I bet he broke this uh,
0: allegiance thing that he wrote no less than 24 hours after he wrote it.
3: Ready, anytime, anywhere, anyhow, any place. Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes. I want to be you. See, the good news is Jesus has done whatever it took. What it
0: took to rescue and save us.
3: <sighs> by you in such a way that on that final day I'll hear you say, "Well done, thou good and faithful one. Come on in and let the eternal party begin." Yeah, see,
0: because uh, he, well done, because Rick Warren, his righteousness is what made it possible for him to say to God, well done, rather than the righteousness of Christ that Paul so clearly teaches in that passage that I read
3: from Romans. Friends, to me, that is awakening. It is the radical nature of following Jesus.
0: We're up on our second break. Sad and depressing. I, I fear that uh, the advice that Rick Warren gave that pastor who's burned out will only lead to that guy either dropping out of the ministry, leaving Christianity, or, or worse, harming himself in a fatal way. the The guy needs the gospel. He needs to be told what a great Savior he has and everything that Christ has done for him. That's what Christians need. The gospel is the centerpiece of sanctification not the law. All right, we're up on our second break when we come back we'll be doing a Bill Shear Guts Church uh, it's been a while since we've done a Guts Church sermon review, but that's what we're going to be doing cuz as we continue on this theme of law and gospel here at Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, do so, my email address is talkback at or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
1: God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough.
0: Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low Prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. It has been a while since I've done a Guts Church sermon review. And it's important that I do that from time to time. It's clear that uh, after listening to this that I need to be doing it more often. Cue up the music. The good, the bad, and, uh, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Guts Church. I think they're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Pastor Bill Shear presiding. This sermon jumps the track really early. I mean, from almost from the word Go. It ends up in the wrong focus. The focus is on me, you, and not on Christ. And he gets the gospel 180 degrees backwards wrong. It's upside down, inside out. Black is white. Up is down. Cats and dogs are living together. It's absolute doctrinal mayhem. I think that that last part was from the movie Ghostbusters. (sighs) Anyway, without any further ado, let's kill the music. Here is uh, Pastor Bill Shear, Guts Church, and I think they're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Here we go.
1: Welcome to Guts Church On Demand.
0: This guy is, by the way, the prototype, the man who inspired uh, Pastor Rex Quando from the uh, Marty Python. uh...
1: And now, let's
2: go On Demand
1: with Pastor Bill Shear. Guts Church. Hey, you're here today at the 18th anniversary of Guts Church, man. It's so exciting. I, I I'll tell you, it just it's gone like that. I it's it's hard to even believe. And you know, man, I want to just hit the ground running here. That I, I'm asked all the time about Guts, man. What's up with that name? It doesn't sound like a church. You know, is it an acronym? Yeah, I'm you know, not. Even- notice, I'm not asked all
0: the time. What's up with that great God and Savior Jesus Christ? What's up with Jesus, man? I can't believe what an amazing Savior we have. No, no. I, all the time I get asked about guts, not Jesus, but guts.
1: I even heard 15 or 16 years ago, somebody came up with God's ultimate and total sacrifice. And I thought, you know, that's really good, but that's not what it is.
0: Yeah. It's something that refers to, you know, Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah, that's good. But that's not what guts is all about. No guts is about me. It's not about Jesus and God's ultimate sacrifice. No, 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 no. It's about Bill Shearer.
1: Guts is simply what it takes for us to live, live
0: for, for Jesus, What it takes for us to live, this is all law. This isn't gospel. This is all What it takes for us to live for Jesus. Yeah, God's ultimate sacrifice, whatever that person. No, 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 that's good, but that's not what guts is about. No, 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 it's all about what I do, not what Jesus did. No, it's all about what I do. That's what he just said.
1: Guts is simply what it takes for us to live the life that God's called us to live. Man, there's so much courage, so much loyalty, so much fortitude that's required for us to be excellent. To be excellent for God, you know, it's interesting because over 30 years ago I gave my life to the Lord, and and at that time, man, I'm, I'm telling you, I was a sinner. I don't know about you guys, but Okay, by the way, in case you don't know, I if you have
0: to look in the archives here, uh, Bill Shear has publicly made it clear. Now that he's a Christian, he ain't no longer a sinner. This is easily refuted. By the way, if you ever hear have, if you ever have a conversation with somebody who says, now that I'm a Christian, I'm no longer a sinner, a couple of places you can take them. Number one, you take them to where Jesus taught us how to pray. Here's how Jesus, when disciples came to Jesus, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Jesus said, sure. Okay, when you pray, say, here you go, ready? Our Father who art in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name, got it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, check. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, in the part that says, and give us this day our daily bread, that tells you the Lord's Prayer. Jesus intended you to be praying this every day. Yeah, it's true. And, and give us this day our daily bread, right? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You wouldn't be needing to pray on a daily basis, Lord, forgive me my trespasses, if you hadn't trespassed God's law on a daily basis, a.k.a. sinned. Okay? Go to opening section of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John tells us this. Also, you can go to Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul, writing in Romans chapter 7, says, The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? Or death, yeah. Yeah, even the Apostle Paul, as a Christian, was still a sinner. The Bible teaches that Christians are simul justus et peccator, simultaneously justified, declared righteous, because of Christ, and still sinners. We will still wrestle with our sinful natures until the day we die or the day when Christ returns in glory to judge both the living and the dead. When you have somebody publicly saying, I'm not a sinner, I'm a Christian, they are lying to you, and their theology is very, very bad and very dangerous, and they are self-deceived.
1: The Bible teaches otherwise. We continue. But, man, before I was a Christian, I was a sinner. And I was a pretty good one. Yeah, before you were a Christian, you were a sinner. Yeah, notice how he said it before. He's not one anymore. And what that did is it warranted me to have to understand that, 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 that things needed to change. Because Jesus made himself real to me. In the spring of 1979. Jesus did
0: what? He didn't die for your sin. He made himself real to you? Hmm. Listen carefully to what he does with the
1: gospel. And Jesus made himself real to me. And then it took me two months Man, two months of me trying to just figure out what what I would do. And honestly, it was it was a difficult situation because I knew that when I got to that cross, man, I I I am standing at that cross. I knew that for in order for me to take my life through that cross, I had to lay down everything. Getting up, did you, okay. Back this up. Notice this explanation of
0: the cross is backwards. Okay. 180 degrees backwards. Let me back it up just a smidge. I want you to hear this. Listen to the backwardsness of this explanation of the cross.
1: Man, I'm standing at that cross. I knew that in order for me to take my life through that cross, I had to lay down everything.
0: Jesus is the one who laid down his life. Jesus is the one who laid down everything. Not you, Bill. Bill. The cross isn't you laying you laying down everything. The cross is Jesus laying down everything, and he lays it down only to take it up again. So in Bill Shear, yeah, the guts, God's ultimate uh, sacrifice or something, sacrifice. Yeah, that's good, but that's not what it's about. No, it's about the things we got to do. So the cross now is Bill laying down his life, not Jesus laying down his. That's now. We are one minute, 41 seconds into the sermon. And we have officially jumped the track. Everything from this point out is 180 degrees wrong because it's all about what Bill does, not what Jesus has done. Apparently, the cross is all about Bill laying down his life, not Jesus laying down his.
1: I had to lay down every habit and vice and acquaintance and friend and, and everything about my life, everything about my lifestyle. I had to lay the whole thing down, and it took me a couple months to come to the place where it's finally, looked. that's it. I'm giving my life to God, but then let me just tell you, walking through that cross, man, the first thing that was said to me was, was so pivotal. And and the the, the preacher at an, at the altar of that at little frame Assembly of God Church in Warrington, Missouri. And but but I'll tell you that that, that I, I'll, I'll come back to that soon after that. I was in the church just thinking, man, I don't fit in, man. I don't. It, this this is not. It, it, that none of this is, is, is anything that, that I could even approach as, and, 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 and know what to do in life. And I'm looking around at different types of people and people that just really love God. And, 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 and it, it just boiled down to it. I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself in, in that kind of environment. Man, people with their hands up during the music and they were swaying and everything was peace and love and joy. And Man, I'm sitting with my, with my back to the back wall of the sanctuary of this little, little frame church and I just thought, I, I can't do it. This is crazy. And I'm t- I can't
0: do it. Not, not, not th- where, where's what Jesus did, Bill? I'm telling you,
1: the Lord spoke to me. And now we're getting direct revelation. Every, every time since, I've learned that the times that God speaks definitively to me, you might say, man, are you talking about audibly? Well, it might as well be. Man- so notice he's preaching his
0: life and this direct revelation. This is the Bible, study apparently this is on
1: par with god's word the bible and every single time that it's it god's calling me out and the very first time that god spoke to me in an, in an audible voice in my heart he said are you gonna have the guts to serve me and it was that simple i got i've got my back to the back wall of this church and i'm just thinking gosh darn it I mean, man, God. Yeah, it's just that simple. Just
0: cert, you know, obey me. It's that simple. Wow, I'm glad it's easy.
1: God knew how to, how to, how to reach me. God knew that if he, if he called me out, man, I'd take that step. Man, I've used it many times since. I've used it. Man, I'd, I'd, I'll be in a situation where, man, somebody really le- needs the Lord, but they're stiff-necked and there's a shield up or a wall that, that there's no way they can do it. And finally, I just said, look, are you going to be man enough just to pray with me? Man, most of the time, we're, we're in Oklahoma. Guys, the Okies, will step up and say, oh yeah, well, yeah, and they'll pray with you. But, but man, God calls me out. And the first time he said, are you gonna have the guts to serve me? Man, I just remember that, man, the music's going and people are doing that little Christian, little two-step thing they call dancing. And, and, and I, I just, man, I walked down the, the outside aisle of the, the, of the church and I went up to the front. And I put my hands up as high as I could, almost defiantly to God. Where I put my hands up and I said, God, I'm just going to give you my life. I, I do have the guts to serve you, God. And that was over 30 years ago. And that's how the name of the church came about. And it's, it's, it's how everything we do and, and who we are as a people, everything's factored in that one statement. It takes guts. It's going to take guts for you to walk in health. It's, gonna- it's, not, it's not that Christ did it for you. It's that it
0: takes guts for you to do everything. Now listen to the litany here, because he's a word-faith heretic.
1: It's going to take guts for you to be a, a man of God in your home. It's going to take guts for us to reach this community. It's going to take guts for us to, to, for us to launch more church locations. It's going to take guts for us to stay committed to the tithe. It's going to take guts for La, Law. This is all unadulterated law. Imperative. No indicative. For us to, man, just, just, just help and be a part of building the house of God. And that's what that's what Jesus said. And it, it, and it's interesting because I, I know what Matthew sixteen eighteen says. It, it it says, Upon this rock I'll build my church. And, and now listen carefully, Matthew sixteen eighteen. L- listen
0: to how, what he does with this passage. If you're not familiar with Matthew sixteen, Jesus in that passage asks the disciples, Who do people say that I am? They say, Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He proclaims that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the Christ, the son of God, that he is God in human flesh. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And on this rock... You are Peter on this rock, the rock of his confession of faith. Jesus said he would build his church. Go look it up. I just summarized it for you very accurately. That's what that passage is about. But listen to what
1: Bill Shearer does with this. And what's interesting, though, is I don't really think that the, the mindset is the same kind of Western American mindset that we have of church. You know, I, I, really, I really look at that, and I think that, that Jesus, and, and, and honestly, if it were today, that Jesus would be saying, man, upon this rock, I'll build my culture. What? So if Jesus
0: were alive today, he, was, he wouldn't say, I'm going to build my church. He says, I'm going to build my culture. Listen to what he does to mangle this passage and pour absolutely new meaning into it that is not justified by
1: the text at all. And the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. Man, God wants us to build a culture and call it his church that's stronger than anything our society can throw at him. And see, that's what we've got. There isn't a single passage of scripture that says
0: anything of the sort. Where did Bill Shear get this idea from?
1: You've got to understand. And that's where Paul said, harden yourself to difficulties. Man, the Bible says that there's a great door of ministry opportunity, yet many adversaries. The Bible says many of the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them from them all. Man, whatever, whatever now, whatever, whatever assault is on your life, I'm telling you, God's going to deliver you. God's going to set you free. There's not a chance he won't. See, you know, you know, it's funny because I think most church folk, most Christians are going to take the mindset that, well, you know, man, God's going to get me through this. And yeah, and let me tell you how God gets you through it. Man, God gets you through it by, listen, faith. That we have to operate in such a trust to God. It's not so much God getting us. God's already gotten us through it. Now, in case you're thinking, wait a second, he's he's talking about
0: faith the way Paul is. No, he isn't. Listen to how the definition is really different. Listen.
1: It's our faith that gets us through it. Our faith in God's word. Our faith in God's promise. Our faith in the living God that gets us through any situation that we're in. Man, you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar said, look, I'm the king, and you're going to bow to this, this image, and, 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 and they said, no, we're not bowing. He said, you, look, you bow, we're going to throw you in the... It's our faith that
0: gets us through every situation, not faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It's faith that God's going to help us to live victorious in our situations. Perfect health, perfect wealth. He's a word faith heretic
1: in the, in the, in the furnace. And they said, no, we're not bowing. And, and, and he said, look, I'm, they, they, they turned it up seven times hotter and the people that, that threw them into that furnace were consumed with the heat. And you know what? The last time he said, look, you bow. And they said, oh no, King, we're not bowing. Our God's able to deliver us this day. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. Man, I look at Jonathan with his armor bearer. Here's Jonathan, the son of a King. Hiding from a million Philistines who were on top of this ledge that were hovering over the 600 men in the, in the Israeli army. And here's Jonathan, and, and he turns to his armor bearer and said, Look, that's it. I'm not hiding anymore. I'm the son of a king. Just like you are. Do you understand? You're a child of God. Man, he's the king. Man, you're the son of a king. Man, this is his kingdom. Man, man, you've got authority in the, it just, just because you're his, his son or his daughter. But he turned to his armor bearer and said, let's go take those Philistines. It doesn't matter to God to say by many or by few. Man, the the armor bearer turned and said, man, whatever's in your heart, I'll do it. And you know what's amazing? Jonathan turned to his armor bearer and said, it just may be that God will work for us. Man, think about that. Think about your health. Think about your marriage. Think about your finances. Think about the things you're going through right now. All of your temporal
0: sufferings, your health, your wealth, your finances, your marriage, all of these things are going away. You're going to be dead in the next five to seven decades.
1: You're gone. You're worm food. And he, oh, man. Now, and then you take, you have the guts to take this mindset. It just may be that God will work for me. Man, I'm telling you, after over 30 years of serving him, this Jesus stuff's real. And I'm telling you, it's Supernatural. And it's, it's beyond belief. And it's, it's, it's so incredible, the promise of God, that covers everything. You know that God promises us everything pertaining to life and godliness? Do you know that God will withhold no good thing to those who simply put him first? Man, you think about And he's assuming that the good thing means that God's going to give you perfect health, perfect
0: wealth, and all that kind of stuff. Really? That's what, God, that's what that means? It doesn't say that. Again, look at the story of Jesus' telling of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had health. He had wealth. He had every, quote, good thing according to what the world thinks is a good thing. And yet Lazarus was poor and sick, and Lazarus is the one who goes to heaven and the rich man goes to hell. So when the scriptures promise us every good thing, that's not what it's referring to. He's got an over-realized eschatology. It might be that God sees fit that in this lifetime that you experience suffering and persecution and lack and and not popularity with the world, but rather that the world is angry at you and hates you because they hated him. And yet, even when you're going through that, what did Paul say in the section of Scripture that I read from Romans? That through the gospel, we can rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, hope, and character, and all those things, right? Listen, Bill Shearer, I mean, yeah, he's equating every good thing with perfect health and perfect wealth, and that's just plain out
1: flat biblical ignorance. About that. Man, you think, man, man, write that in your notes right now. Just God to withhold no good thing from me. I just have to put him first. Write it in your own. See, God will give you every good thing. All you got to do is put Him first, and see, da da, you put God first, and blammo, you can
0: uh, have perfect health and wealth and all I can see, all you got to do is put God first, and then you get all those good things too. That's not what the Scriptures
1: teach. In, in your own handwriting, in your in in, in your own vo- vocabulary, use your own words, man. God's gonna. I put God first, man. He's He's my supply, man. It's not your job. It's not the economy. It's really you put God first. You sound just like Rick Warren. I don't believe it. It's not the government. Man, the church, none of that stuff is your supply. God's your supply. Man, and he'll not withhold any good thing. That's a, that's, that's a promise that he gives you. Man, that's not a promise that he's going to keep. That's a promise he's already kept. Man, that, that Jesus on that cross, he's hanging there. He's he's minutes from Listen. From, from from giving his life. And he's hanging on the And you know what he said? It's finished. What does that mean? Now, what was he talking about there? And you know what he was talking? He was talking about the sacrifice. He's talking about, about, about the separation between us and God now had an opening. He said, look, I'm preparing a way, and there's an opening. There's a way for you now, and it's finished. There, okay,
0: you, there's an opening. There's a way for you now. Now, now you got to get busy and do that. Walk into that opening so that you can, you know, you can do the work. It's not what the, what Jesus
1: meant when he said he was finished. Man, and that, that's Jesus. That's God's promise. That's God's word. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I stepped to the altar of that little frame assembly of God church. I'm hungover. I felt terrible. I, I thought, this is crazy. I was, it was humiliating to walk in front of all these people. And man, I, it was me and another guy that had a, had a paper bag and all of his belongings in that bag and one tooth. And man, he, and I looked over at him and he, he looked over and he winked to give me the thumbs up. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Man, this pastor prayed and he asked me to repeat with him. Man, do you know what I said? God, I give you my life. I make Jesus the Lord of my life and I turn my back on sin. And God, from now on, I'm gonna serve you and I'm gonna walk with Jesus for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. And he said, son, you're born again. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he looked at me and he said it's, He said this. Look, he, what he did is he quoted 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, he said, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I, I'll tell you the amazing thing. I know that I heard it, it but let me tell you, it didn't factor through my, me mentally. It, it went right to my heart. Man, it dropped into my heart and it came alive in me. Somehow I knew I was new. I, 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 everything was new. Somehow I knew I was a new creation in Christ that old things had passed away. Behold, all things had become new. Man, I left there thinking, oh my gosh. Man, I, 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 I came back that evening. Man, and, and that's the night that, that I was standing at the back of that church just thinking, I'm not gonna fit. God spoke to me and said, are you gonna have the guts to serve me? Man, I sat through that service. I went, out, I went outside. I'm thinking, man, I went to church twice today. This is crazy. I've been to church all my life, and I've been twice in one day. And I walked outside, and a man asked me, if, man, do you want all of God you can get? And I ask you that tonight, because that's the question. Do you want all of God you can get? Man, absolutely. You know, we can use a lot of church terms, and we can talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Spirit of God, all of it, and everything, and I'm just telling you. Man, God... God 's promises he wants to give us more than we'd ever need all that, all that we can get of him man and you know what my answer was yes man i'm telling you God filled me with the Holy Spirit at that at that instant and and I'm telling you then it was go time man, it flipped a switch on the inside of me that man i'm telling you still it' still flipped today man it's more real to me it's, it, I'm telling you it, it's like it happened yesterday just recalling just that experience in my life, man. God's made everything brand new. I've become a new creation in Christ, man. See, that's the question: Are you gonna have the guts to serve God? Are you gonna have? Are you gonna have the? Are you gonna? Are you? Again, Jesus. Even what little He gave
0: that sounded gospelish was so convoluted. You have no clue what Jesus really did for you. He opened up a way for you to fall walk through. I don't even know what that
1: means. We continue the guts to, to give your life to him and, 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 and watch your life take an amazing turn, man. I know some of you guys may have served God in your, in your, in your heart for years, but you've kind of plateaued.
0: Okay. I want to point something out here. When you obey God's laws, I mean, at least apply yourself to them. Your life does get better because that's the way God intended for us to live. But if you're going to be justified by the law or blessed by the law, I think your keeping of the law is meritorious, then you have to keep it perfectly. It's very clear that living God's law will probably yield some pretty decent results in your life. Because to live contrary to God's law is just utter foolishness and it's the, it was at the root of a lot of your problems. Yeah, but notice he's not preaching Christ and him crucified for our
1: sins. Yeah, no, no, no. It's all about Bill Shear and you and you. the thing you got to do. Man, I believe that that's why we're here. I believe why this church exists and this community is because, man, so many believers have just plateaued. And it's like, well, I guess this is what it is, and we're just kind of riding it out. You know, where the, where the, the move of God has kind of just, just passed them by. Well, I'm telling you today, you've got an opportunity to get, to get on that move of God man, to ride the, 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 wind of God, man, in, in, in this time of our life and even beyond, man, that's why we're here right now. I'm telling you, I, and, and yeah, we could be all dramatic and go and say, man, we were born for a time such as this, but I'm telling you, it's true, man, we're on the earth today with everything going on. With all the technology, with all the change, with, with everything, all the politics, you know what's amazing? Our country's split in half. I mean, every vote, everything is just 50-50. Well, let me tell you, what that requires, it's not 80-20. It's easy to lead when, when it's 80-20. When you're on the 80% side and you're leading, it's easy. Everybody's agreeing with you. But no, now things are 50-50. You know what's required? What's required is excellent leadership. Man, that's what's required in the church now. That's what's required in
0: our community. What's required? Can you tell me about what Jesus has done for me? And can you actually, do you have any uh, desire to, you know, do your pastorly duty and actually open up a text and actually preach from the scriptures in context? Communities in our country
1: now, man, things are 50-50. So, you know what we've got to do? We've got to be bold. We've got to bring captivity captive. We've got to be people that know what we're talking about. See, and that's the assurance. That's the that, that's a confidence that God word, God's word gives us. You know, it takes guts. It, it has become the backbone of everything we are and everything we do as a people. Man, it takes guts as who we are. Man, we wanna, we wanna stand for people that can't. Man, we wanna, we wanna be there for the fatherless and the widows. Man, we wanna give groceries to whoever needs them. Man, we wanna, we wanna, we wanna help anybody in their time of need, and I'll tell you why. Because that's aligning ourselves with the, with the very heart of God. I know this. If you if you help the poor and you win the lost, man, God's gonna prosper you. God's gonna take care of you. Because the poor and the lost is the agenda of of New Testament ministry.
0: Makes you wonder what the Apostle Peter did wrong. He and his wife were both crucified for you know doing those things.
1: Man, what 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 did Jesus say? Man, I I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And you know what he said? He said, "Man, you send a doctor to the sick. There's so many people that man they're well and everything everything's just fine and they have no need. And you know what? Today tonight you realize that you have a need for God. Man, you realize that this has got to be real. This has got to be more. It's got to be so relevant and so practical in your life right now that that there's no way it, it can miss. There's no way you can lose." See, I, I know you guys that, that have been around me for a long time. You've, you've heard it dozens of times and, and, and I don't want it just to become fodder. I'm telling you, the two, the two choices you have tonight is you could freak out, you can worry, you could fret, or you can win. You can overcome. You can be victorious. You know what Paul said in a desperate situation? But thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ and then he said it makes manifest the savor of the knowledge of God in every place. Man, everywhere we go, the savor, the knowledge of God, man, we carry that. Man, that's what the presence of God becomes in our lives. And, you know, you think, oh, my gosh, I, I never want to spoil that. No, he said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. I'm telling you, the risen king lives on and, 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 and dwells on the inside of you. He functions. In- Notice how he uses scripture. He just takes these You know,
0: biblical phrases that you're probably familiar with, stuff that you could probably tweet out on Twitter that's memorable, he just grabs them, you know, and then throws them into his sermon. They're like the spice in there to make this sermon sound biblical. But he's not actually doing a biblical preaching. He's preaching his own ideas and throwing in biblical verses out of context, one here, one there, these little slogan types things. Uh, just you know, it's, it's basically adding it's like adding chicken flavor to the water so that you feel like you're having chicken soup, but you're not, because this is artificial Bible flavor because it's not quoted in context, and he's not really teaching you what the text says at all. It's
1: in you now. And that's the promise that God's given us. Man, that he'd never leave us nor forsake us. You know, I believe that there's a domino effect. I believe that in our lives that, man, there's a domino effect in this simple statement that it takes guts. Man, a domino effect in your life. By the way, the uh, it
0: takes guts phrase, yeah, not found in the Bible. It's just not there. You won't find it. If you do a Bible search, go, you know, grab one of those electronic Bibles and you type in it takes guts,
1: zero verses will come up in your search results. Just saying life. You may be here, you may be here tonight and you might think, oh my gosh, I've got, I've got this need in my life. And let me just tell you what God does. Here's what's awesome is, is let's think about that need being an empty cup and God, and, and God's word says that our cup runs over man. And now listen that that empty cup is the need of your life. Well, God's going to fill that cup. He's going to take care of that need. But not just that. The blessing of God is going to run over out of that cup, and it's going to impact the other areas of your life. So where
0: in the Bible does it promise that if you have a need, God is going to absolutely uh, not only just meet it, but meet it in such a way that it's so abundant that your cup will runneth over? When you, If you were to look up the passage that says your cup runneth over, that's not what this passage says at all. Again, why wasn't Lazarus's cup running over? The only thing it was running over with was misery, poverty, illness and sickness and yet he goes to heaven. Mhm. How is that possible? How is it possible that you can say that uh to a slave, you know, a slave, somebody who's owned by another human being? Oh, God's going to provide for you more abundantly than you ever believe. You just got to have enough faith and and your slavery will be over. Yet scripture says to slaves, slaves obey your masters. How does that work out? Why doesn't the Bible say to slaves, just have enough faith so that your cup will run over and you'll be set free from your slavery? You know, Paul actually sent a slave who ran away from his master, sent him back to his master. Read the book of Philemon. How, does, how is that possible? If Bill Shear's, quote, gospel is true, then none of that would have happened. Something's off, and it ain't the Bible.
1: See, God wants to, what God wants to do is make a mess of the need of your life. Why? Because, man, there's things that you have need of that you don't even know, that you don't even know how to pray for. Well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that, man, man, God will give you a prayer that can't even be uttered. And out of, out of the innermost parts of you, man, you're going
0: to... No, actually, if you read that passage in context, it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf because we don't know what to pray. Look it up.
1: Now, utter it. Man, that you speak as the Spirit gives you utterance. See, and, and, and the power of that is, is all so tangible to us. But all all that we've got to do is we've got to buy in. And you know what that buy in is? It takes guts. Man, we're going to carry this, this theme out throughout this year. 2011. I'm telling you, the stress of your life right now, for you to break the back of that stress, it's going to take guts. It's going to take some changes that you go through. And you'll say, man, what do I need to change? Everything. And you know what that's going to require? That's going to require so much courage and so much fortitude that let me tell you, you're not going to be able to do it alone. You're not just going to be able to listen to a podcast or, or, or get up 10 minutes early and, and try, try to read through the Bible or whatever. No, you know what you've got to do? You've got to hook up with people because the Bible says that we're all members of his body. And we all have different functions. Yeah, remember uh, our uh, Marty Python, no more reading the Bible solo. So we're all different. But you know what? It, where every joint supplies is what the word says. It's where you're joined. That's why That's why this church in this place, in this location, in this community right now is such a big deal. It gives you a place to hook up. It gives you a place to join. And that joint.
0: Is- All he's preaching about is himself and his church. And where's Christ in this? Uh, again,
1: what's the purpose of Jesus? Does Jesus actually show up at your church from time to time? Is what supplies. And look at the people that are sitting in front of you. Look at the people that are sitting behind you. Man, those people simply, and let me just tell you, it doesn't make sense to me. Most times I come into a church setting, it's like, man, these are, these are people, these are friends, this is family that I wouldn't have picked. But guess what God did? Because the word says that God places us in his body, man, where it pleases him. Man, it's by his will. Where now it's like, let me, let me tell you, I'm telling you, better, better chance than not that this is a place that you need to be joined joined up with people that you wouldn't necessarily pick in the natural, but guess what? Man, the the promise of God flows through, through us hooking together through the local church. See, everything in life, if you really think about it, man, if we really sat down and we said, okay, what's the answer for America today? And we look at all the churches. I'm telling you, the answer for America today is for churches to just turn on to the promise of God which one for the forgiveness of sins and and there's there's a lot of churches that i mean all over all around i mean we could tee up a golf ball in in the in the at the front door of this church right here and and hit it any direction and it would roll into the yard of of possibly a church that's lost its hope and you know what's going to happen what's going to happen is hope filled people like you are going to be able to turn communities around but but the bottom line is is we've got to begin to see this and that's going to take guts in romans 1 16 and this is the let me tell you i believe romans is the greatest book that was ever written but in romans 1 16 paul writes and man let me tell you this is a big deal to him here's the man that wrote over two-thirds of the new testament and this right here was was the focal message that he had to deliver Man, I just read through Ephesians, and I read through Philippians, and I read through the book of James, man, just this week, but, but let me tell you, this book, this Romans is so packed, and the, I'm telling you, Ephesians, man, I read Ephesians just, just a few days ago, and it changed my life again. I'm like, wow. You know why? Because Hebrews 4.12 says, that for the
0: word of God's alive. How can it change his life again? He's no longer a sinner
1: man this is this isn't a this isn't a uh, this isn't just just words that were penned They're, it's not like shakespeare or dickens it's not man you know what this is this is this is the, the word of god Man, think about that right write that in your notes this is the word of god yeah i'll write that one down Whew, that's memorable i had no idea but in romans 116 paul writes it says for we're not ashamed of the i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it's the power of god unto salvation first to the jew then to the greek but then you know what he goes he goes farther but listen he says he says i'm not ashamed but then in verse in, 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 and let me say he said for everyone who believes see that's a big key to me no one's left out man you need to write that in the tablet of your heart that you're not left out that right now you're god's focal point right now you're god's mission right now you're right smack dab in the middle of the of the agenda of the living god and you know what he's thinking? He's thinking, man, 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 just call unto me. Man, you who are who, who who labor and, 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 and are an unrest, and I'll give you rest. Man, when's the last time that man, you're just you're just ready to throw in the towel and you're thinking, no. God, I just call unto you. God, I like wisdom and I know that you're gonna give it to me liberally. God, I what I what I see, I don't like and I don't live Liberal wisdom, What about liberal grace
0: and liberal forgiveness of sins? Yeah, does that have anything to do with the gospel?
1: Live by what I see. How I'm feeling right now, God. Is it, it, it's going to bring me to depression, but I don't live by how I feel. God, I thank you that your word's alive in me. See, we, we call into God. He hears our cry. He lifts us up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and He sets our feet upon a rock. He puts a new song in our heart. Man, that's my aim tonight is to have a, get a new song in your heart. Man, these guys up here singing tonight, let me tell you, it's a new song for you now. It's a song of hope. It's a song of joy. It's a song of deliverance. That's what God wants in your heart. Man, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And man, it's... it's
0: Yeah, I think you are because you're really not preaching it. I'm not hearing about Christ crucified for our sins and the forgiveness of sins and salvation by grace alone through faith alone by Christ's work alone. I'm hearing a lot about
1: you. It's available for everyone who believes. In 117 of Romans, it says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by total trust in God's promise. For what? God's promise for what? For health and wealth? See, that's, that, that's how this stuff works. Man, it's, it's the trust that we give God. Man, I, I, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the word is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in the word, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In the Amplified there, it says, disclose through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. See, that's what faith to faith is. That, 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 that faith, it's not good. Listen, it's not like this, where it goes from faith to faith. To faith, to faith. No, you know what it is? It goes from faith to faith, to faith, to faith. And now guess what? Man, as your faith grows, as your faith builds, it becomes bigger than that mountain that's in front of you. So now we go back to, to, to Matthew eleven twenty two. have the faith of God, the God kind of faith. 23 says, "And you speak to this mountain, be removed to be cast in the sea and don't receive any doubt in your heart. You know why? Because the faith that's on the inside of you is bigger and stronger than that mountain could ever be. And that mountain's gonna submit to the strength of the faith that's on the inside of you. The trust that God gives you. I'm a little fired up. As it's written, the just shall live by faith. You know, just a few statements as we close here tonight. The first one I'm not ashamed. Write that down. Put an exclamation point after it. I'm not ashamed. I am emphatically unashamed. I am not ashamed. I believe the Word of God. I believe I put my trust in God's word. And you know, know what that carries to is its power supplies my life. Man, I'm not ashamed. I believe the word of God and its power brings supply to my life. The word reveals the power in my life. And there's a power in you. Just because you've sat under the word right here tonight, there's a power in you that's, that, that, that I believe that as you speak that, as you say, this power is revealed in my life by faith, that, 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 that God reveals that power on in the inside of you. There's a new confidence in your life. And finally, I don't live by how I feel. I don't live by what I see. I live by faith. I live by total trust in the living God. I mean, you look at that. And you, you look at this, this simple list here. Man, I'm not ashamed. Man, I'm gonna stand for God. Shame is not a part of my life anymore. Yeah, guess what? Man, all my missteps and all my mishaps and everything, it's behind me now. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God's doing a new work in me right here and right now tonight. Man, see, that's the faith that we have in God's word. Man, right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is ministering to people's hearts. Man, you look at it you think, you know, I, I need to talk to him or I need to see her or I need a meeting or I need some help. No, let me tell you what you need. You need this simply right here. You, you need your hands to just do this. Just do this with me and just close your eyes and lift your hands just like this and allow your heart to open. Do it right now. Just close your eyes and lift your hands and allow your heart to open right now and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Let the Holy Spirit deliver you. Let God touch your life in such a dramatic way right here and right now, that it'll never be the same. And it'll impact everybody around you. God, I just thank you for this night. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the guts that you've given us to serve you, God. And God, we take a stand tonight. Did you notice the entire thing? I mean, over and over and
0: over and over and over. Me, 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 the thing I got to do, da, da, da. And throw in some out of context Bible verses, and then he thinks that he's teaching the Bible. And he didn't. He didn't preach the gospel. The gospel was him laying down his life, not Christ laying down his. As a result of it, from there, everything else was just a litany of self-righteousness and works, and the gospel doesn't make any
1: sense. That whatever it is that's in front of us, whatever battle chooses us, God, that we win, that we're victorious, and we carry the savor of your knowledge in every place that we go, God, and we're so appreciative. And our hearts are so full. Now, God, I just thank you. By your spirit, you're beginning to minister to people even right now.
2: Oh, boy.
0: So there you have it. Man, just all law, no gospel, all indicative, no real, uh, all imperative. Sorry, all imperative, no indicatives. This whole thing was just a convoluted mess. And you know what's funny is that Bill Shear didn't sound much different at all than Rick Warren. Now, Rick Warren doesn't believe the word faith, prosperity, heresy. But Rick Warren pretty much teaches this exact same legalistic doctrine. Sad. 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 Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, your financial contributions, to keep bringing this important radio outreach to you. You know the drill. Visit our website, Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and then fill it all out. We could truly use your financial support. Of course, if you'd like to do it the traditional way, you could do so by clicking on the uh, donate. Well, I'm sorry. Make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Until next time. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Mm. I'll talk to you next week.